Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. This is Saqib, and today I have the honor of uh, hosting uh, one of the great players in recent times, Jonas Bjorkman from Sweden. Uh, thanks, Jonas, for taking time out on uh, on a weekend. I'm sure you're busy with family, but uh, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure is all mine. Uh, it's not usually we get you know company like you, so I'm really looking forward to this chat. Uh, me too. So I'll start on my personal note. Uh, my first memory of Jonas Bjorkman goes back to 94 US Open. I'm in India watching a night match against Stefan Edberg. Being a Boris Becker fan, I was rooting for you very hard. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't know what you remember of that match, but I remember it was a straight set match. And I think there was a six love set. Was Stefan a hero of yours? And also I remember, if I'm correct, I haven't seen many highlights of that match since, but you were taking something like Federer's saber. You were taking returns really inside the baseline. Uh, is my uh, recollection correct? And what do you re remember of that match? Yeah, it is correct. Finally, someone who remembers, but maybe he wasn't the first. <laughs> uh, well, it's obviously uh, a great memory for me. Probably one of my biggest moments in my career because as a 17-year-old kid, I had the great opportunity to be uh, Stefan Edberg's uh, hitting partner when he came and visited in Sweden. And uh, I think because I did a pretty good uh, first uh, session, I, uh, I got invited to play uh, with him every time he came back. And uh, for me, he was, I would say, Mats Ullander was my first idol because he's coming from the same club. I'm coming from the same club of his. Uh, and then uh, Stefan became more and more of an idol because of the way he plays. And I, I had a little bit more of an aggressive game plan compared to the rest of my colleagues uh, from Sweden. So um, with being his hitting partner, I, I, I really learned a lot. And he, I think he also took me under the wings a little bit to you know, um, be a little bit of a mentor as well. Uh, and that came later on. So heading in 94, just sort of managing to, to get into the ATP level and, and play the big tournaments uh, and to finally go in and play a night, night match in US Open uh, under the lights against my, my role model, uh, obviously, was a dream come true. And uh, I think it's probably the, the only only time in my life where I, where I felt... Uh, that I was in the flow. Uh, everything I did, I even remember I hit a few running, passing, uh, one-hand backhands, you know, behind. Uh, so <laughs> it was it was really a moment where everything connected. And uh, yeah, I won 6-4, 6-4, 6-love, which was, uh, I mean, I did never, ever expect that. And uh, neither did anyone else, I think. So uh, it's definitely one of my biggest... Uh, achievements yeah you mentioned something like you know, your style resonated with edberg's uh, aggressive style so growing up in sweden uh was serving while you're attacking tennis a natural instinct or was this something not the norm because uh, you came up with the generation of uh, magnus larsen slightly older nicholas kilty and uh, michael tilstrom uh, some of the fellow swedes and you were the i think more aggressive uh, servant volley kind of a player so walk us through that uh that development of your career, that stage. Yeah, it's true. I, I think uh, mainly all of our great uh, players uh, from the 80s, which I grew up watching, they mainly played from the back. Uh, I think Anders Jared was a little bit of an exception. 
And uh, same on the 90s with all my colleagues, uh, Thomas Johansson, Enquist, Norman, Tilström, Kulti. You know, they mainly played from, from the baseline. Uh, but somehow I, I always, I, I guess I just didn't have the patience to, to, to stay back. Uh, I didn't have the, the best forehand either. So, uh, you know, I, w- I was not the, the type of person who can hit 20, 25 winners with my forehand. Uh, so I had to adjust with with, with the game I had, and uh, my strength was, uh, I think, my speed and flexibility on the court, uh, my my backhand and my volley and the return. So so with that, I had to adjust, and I also grew up uh, in Vecchio playing on gymnastic floor and uh, uh, this carpet as well, which was extremely quick. Uh, so the, you you always needed to be ready to play. Uh, you know, quick rallies and and be always prepared. You know, preparing your shots all the time because of the speed of the court. So with that uh, and the combination of how my game looked like, it it, it became natural to be aggressive, and uh, that's why also it was very natural for me to uh, to look up to Stefan and and to see what he did well uh, and to see and copy and and try to do something close to it. Uh, like you said, Sweden had a, a great run of players, and I think uh, you we can. It's fair to say Sweden had one of the best programs, at least it seems like from far, because uh, from Borg, Willander, Nystrom, Edberg, and then your generation, and even Soderling, some of the younger guys. And now, uh, as Sweden looks for the next uh, great player, uh, what is the Swedish tennis scene like? Uh, if you have to assess, I know the Yamer. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying the name right. Brothers are there. Uh, who else is coming up, and uh, how's the uh, the Swedish junior scene? Uh, looking at the current moment, yeah, uh, it, it's definitely been uh, been a tough time, uh, and obviously it's not easy to come uh, after such a great era. Uh, I mean, with Bjorn starting the the, the tennis interest, uh, I mean, Sweden became absolutely crazy in tennis with with his um, uh, with the way he played and uh, how he became such a big uh, part of tennis in Sweden. Uh, and that followed up with all the great players from the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we, I think we had seven finals in a row in Davis Cup on the 80s. And, you know, we also had a great record on the 90s. So expectations became very high. And if you were, you know, not top 10, not winning Grand Slams, you, you were sort of not not good as a tennis player uh, because everyone compared to the to the past. Uh, and that's been been very tough for for the new kids coming up. Uh, they always uh, get the question, "Why are you not as good as the guys from the from the, in the good old days?" And uh, I think, like you said, we had a, an amazing setup, uh, a great organization with good coaches, uh, and the clubs were working really well. But I would say, end of nineties, we we came to the stage where the federation sort of tapped themselves on the shoulder and felt that, yeah, we are the best in the world. We're winning Davis Cup more or less all the time. Uh, and got a little bit uh, pleased with what we had and just expected that it should continue without working. Uh, and we had all the all the other countries coming to Sweden to check what are we doing here and you know how can we, as such a small country, do so good and producing so many players. And, and they, they copied the concept and uh, invested and then did it better and and we sort of still was tapping ourselves on the shoulder and, and and felt that we were 
still the best. You know, with that, we 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 started to see uh, a big fall, and uh, it was just a matter of time where where the media and everyone else would uh, would see it, and and that came even more clear when when myself and Johansen and a few hours uh, retired, and it was only Söderling and, and Pimpim Johansen left, and and there was like nothing coming behind, and we missed we missed like a ten year generation there of, of uh, maybe youngsters that. Because of uh, uh, bad work uh, in the federation, unfortunately, I have to say, but they they done really really good. I would say the last the, the last ten years. So we we see a good progress in in the tennis right now. Um, we have some uh, I would say five six very good talented fifteen uh, year olds uh, on the men's side, and we we also have a few good ones on the on the women's side, young youngsters. So. I think maybe in in five seven years, hopefully we will have a few more players coming up. Been painful to 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 see the drop that we had. Obviously, I mean we all of us uh, trying to be involved and and we're trying to help out as much as we can. So we 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 wanted to continue. Yeah, it's funny. It's a cycle, right? Uh, even in the United States, uh, you know, I live in the U.S. now, and the U.S. had such a dominant set of players for the longest times and now uh, post Andy Roddick uh, we are still trying to replace that level of greatness it's not easy and same for Germany uh, they still haven't replaced Becker and Steak you know yeah. we had Haas and Kiefer but now it's Zverev and Struff it looks like they, they could be back in the mix okay. uh, uh, the other topic of course uh, deep in the conversation in my mind was Davis Cup uh, because what's going on with ITF and Sweden being such a Davis Cup uh, powerhouse so are you okay as a Davis Cup player and a Davis Cup fan, someone whose goal was to win a Davis Cup and you did win Davis Cup, are you okay with the new changes that uh, ITF is proposing? I think it's, uh, you know, they're trying to create something like a, a World Cup we have in football. Uh, you think tennis has room for that or you think Davis Cup did not need any improvement? What What are your initial thoughts after what's that uh, been proposed? Uh, I would say mixed feelings. I would say uh, the change... Is too late. Yeah, I think we we proposed this to to the Davis Cup organization uh, 15 years ago that we needed maybe to to do something, you know, because you you win the Davis Cup end of November, beginning of December, and then uh, by uh, begin uh, first week of February you could be out of the first group, and you could never really um, feel like a champion because. You know, going every year, uh, it really made it hard. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Davis Cup. Uh, that's, you know, how my interest of tennis became. You know, 1984, Sweden was playing US, which was the best team in the world and the best team maybe ever with Connors and McEnroe 1 and 2 and the unbeaten Fleming McEnroe and, and, and Sweden beat them in, in, in Gothenburg, which was you know, uh, amazing, you know, uh, and, and, and with that, that's, it's one of my key moments of, uh, you know, getting excited, you know, to, to really dream that one day, hopefully represent my country in, in Davis Cup. So for me, Davis Cup was uh, one of my biggest achievements to be part of a team of winning. Uh, one of my proudest moments to always, you know, to dress up and, and hear the national anthem and, you know, play for my country. I mean, I did that during the season, but with the Davis Cup, it felt even more that you played for everyone else, yeah, not only your teammates, but all of the 
all the people uh, back home, uh, you had everyone behind you. And that's why it was even heartbreaking when you lost because you felt you uh, you didn't only lose for yourself, you, you lost for everyone else. So for me, that that is a, an amazing tradition. And, and I think they should have changed uh, the concept way earlier uh, because I, I think it should have been every second year. Uh, so you could really feel like a champion after winning one year so you don't have to... I mean, we won back-to-back 97, 98, and then we lost first round 99. And, and we never had the, the time to uh, enjoy being the champions like you have in other sports. But are you okay with the World Cup format? Because uh, I'm coming originally from India, and I remember India beating Australia in 1987 and going to Sweden to play the finals. And uh, when mm. when players came to Indian shows, it was huge because India did not have an ATP event when I was in India. I know we had the Chennai Open and now Pune Open for a while. But uh, yeah. with the new World Cup kind of format, markets like India or even some of the smaller markets like, uh, say, Hungary or Belgium would not host Davis Cup. So this change... Uh, to me, is more obsessed with putting top players and I think something what happened with Labour Cup. Uh, I don't know if it's a good idea because a lot of those crowds you are mentioning, you playing uh, you know, in front of your home crowd, a lot of people won't be able to go uh, fly to other parts of the world to be part of this World Cup slash Davis Cup kind of uh, environment. Your thoughts on this change, uh, to have it at one uh, location instead of putting it like four weekends in a year? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is a compromise that they felt they had to do to to get the, the top players back uh, to play. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the 80s, the 90s, the beginning of 2000, you know, there was there was no doubt that everyone planned Davis Capote into their schedule. And, and uh, that has changed. I mean, now if you win Davis Cup, it's like mission completed and then you don't want to win it another, another time. Uh, so I, I feel, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate that it's been coming uh, this far, but I think because they have been waiting so long to do any changes, you know, maybe this is the only way to do it to, to, to survive. Uh, I totally agree with you that a lot of the small countries, you know, who, who absolutely love to host the Davis Cup tie, you know, they're not going to have opportunities anymore. Uh, I'm also not sure about the two two singles and the doubles because that could be more or less two guys playing for their for their team. So you're missing out, you know, like the bigger team spirit that uh, I felt was, you know, maybe the best and and the greatest success with, with Davis Cup. So so I, I have very mixed feelings with with a decision. I think. A decision needed to to be taken. I'm not sure if this is the right one, but it's you know something has to be done because yeah, I, I think you know I've been watching you know the the finals who has been in the past the last couple of years. You know it's not the best players playing, so it, it feels like some of the teams is obviously taking advantage of it. But it's normally teams that maybe shouldn't have been going that deep in the tournament if if the best players would play every year. Okay, so I mean, it's a very interesting point. I, I think I agree with a lot of stuff you're saying. So let me ask you this other way around. Uh, you've coached some top guys. You've been part of uh, Murray's team and you coach Marin Cilic. So you think these guys will be interested if they have played a full year and then be part of this new format? Uh, because it's a long year and uh, because a lot of top guys, like you said, they've all won it. So what is a guarantee unless there's some money incentive that these guys will show up? And we don't have much, uh, you know, 
I hope Roger Federer keeps playing, but we all know he's close to the end. So this idea of bringing all the top players, uh, I don't see it materializing the way they are saying it's going to, unless they know something that we don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, it's not a guarantee that uh, all the top players will compete. Uh, I think it all depends, you know, what they have achieved before and uh, how their schedule is. Uh, besides the Davis Cup, so uh, a World Cup, uh, and, and it is every year the World Cup. If I if I understood it correct, eh? yeah, it's every year for now, yeah, yeah. And 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 for me, yeah, I, I I'm still more of a believer that it would have been every second year would have been much better with uh, with the old format. But you know, maybe I'm an old dog and you know striking with new changes. I I don't know, but uh, yeah, I I, I am. I'm hoping because you know I like I said you know Davis Cup has been a big part of my life and and you know a lot of big big memories memories uh, uh, through my career so uh, I hope because I think it's an extremely nice team event and I hope it uh, will survive but I agree with you it's not a, it's not a guarantee that uh, all the top players will play and and believe me, I agree with you. I'm also the same mindset that you know every other year would have been a better alternative with the same format because making it best of three sets taking I think takes the life out of because this is such a prestigious historic competition and uh, it, it'll be too many changes at the same time for fans even like myself to to embrace this new format. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we all know that you know you have done some excellent coaching work. So let's talk uh, some of uh, those partnerships you've had with Murray and Chilich. So are you uh, a natural coach, or is this something you think a lot of players can do after they are done playing? Because uh, coaching requires different set of skills. You need to be more patient. You're sitting for hours, and uh, how, how is that experience for you, uh, coaching some of these guys like Murray and Chilich? Uh, it, it's been great. Uh, I mean, it's been a, an amazing uh, experience, uh, and obviously, I've been very fortunate to to uh, to coach uh, players who's been, you know, on on such a high level uh, and being top ten. All of them, uh, obviously, uh, makes it you know extremely fun uh, to see, uh, you know, how these guys uh, train, how they. You know, want to achieve more, and 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 what they uh, what uh, they are ready to uh, to offer. You know, to, uh, to to you know to go through whatever it takes. You know, to 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 get to the success and and their own dreams. And uh, so, uh, yeah, for me, I, I I was not sure. You know, if I was the the type of guy who would be perfect for coaching, but. I, I always fancied it because I, as a player, for me, like I said before, you know, I, uh, for me, there was a lot when I played my own matches. It was all about tactics, you know, trying to have like a mental battle with uh, my opponent, uh, trying to go under the skin uh, and to play, you know, to outplay my, my opponents to try to be smarter, you know. Uh, uh, they should never know what to expect. I always try to, to you know, to, to surprise and try to invest. And, and, and I feel that's, that's a lot with being a coach. I think, you know, it's really exciting to, um, uh, to, to find uh, winning keys of, of, uh, in, in tactics. And um, also, you know, if you can, 
be part of a little bit of you know percentage here and there to uh, uh, fine tune some techniques or some uh, uh, plays in the in in their way how they play to improve them a little bit. But they are obviously doing all the work. But it's been really a, a nice challenge that I really enjoyed. You know, to be around and and uh, obviously it's. Uh, completely different when you play because the, the days are a lot longer and, and you do all the scouting of the matches and waiting for scheduling and uh, doing all the uh, preparations for, for the next day. But uh, so far, I uh, have been very um, uh, lucky in a way to be working with such great guys who uh, have the same mindset like myself. Uh, so it's been very easy. Okay, so let's take a little deep dive into this uh, conversation because this is something that intrigues me. Uh, you spent some time with Andy Murray. Uh, walk us through what it is uh, at that level because we all know he's a pretty good player. And, of course, uh, when you came on board, his expectation was always – his standards are pretty high. I guess the goal is always to win majors and uh, to reach number one, which he later on did. So when you talk to a guy like that, what are the arrangements and what are the timelines you set up? for Andy Murray because, you know, he was trailing Novak Djokovic and Nadal and Federer for the longest time. So when you met this guy, uh, what are the expectations? Uh, do you come out uh, right away and say, okay, this is what I don't like in your game or this is where you can improve? What is the tactics? How you how you tackle such a player who has a lot of confidence? He's a huge superstar. Uh, then suppose someone like uh, Marin Cilic, which could be a second question, you know, who's, again, a great player, but not as accomplished a uh, player as uh, Andy. I would say it was very easy because when Andy called me, first of all, we, we know each other very well uh, since I was around uh, when he came up as a youngster and uh, Tim Henman took care of him, uh, took him under his shoulder and helped him a lot. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with him and so I, it was easy, you know, in that way because I, I knew some of the team or uh, team members and uh, he had it in your mind also what he felt uh what he wanted out of me you know he wanted to he he was very aggressive when he was young uh, and then he felt that he started to be more defensive which still have have he had a lot of success with that but he felt like he wanted to shorten the points and he wanted to be more comfortable to to come to the net so you know, with that, you know, and and with him having such a clear mindset of uh, what my what the goals were when we were started to work, you know that that really helped a lot. I think you know I, we we focused a lot on on being more aggressive on returns and fine tuning the volley and 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 fine tuning the positioning on where you hit the good uh, good approach and and where your position should be at the net so you can cover and make yourself big. And, uh, you know, it was, he, he was so professional. I, I don't think I, I, I see anyone be more professional and working so hard to, to get to achieve his goals. Uh, I was so, so impressed uh, with the work he put in every day. And uh, like you said, uh, you know, he, he, he was challenging. He wanted more slams and, uh, you know, semis and finals was obviously a disappointing uh, so that was obviously tough, uh, but we we always try to uh, improve, and 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 we you know the whole team obviously always talks you know how to what we can do to uh, to help and and to get Andy to achieve his goals and dreams, and that that was uh, 
very interesting, but it was very easy because when someone is that keen to, to get success and work so hard, uh, it, it was more to the situation where I had to push maybe someone to, to rest a little bit. Uh, and that was same with Marin. Uh, Marin was uh, an amazing hard worker. Uh, you know, he he also had the same same mindset of, of you know wanted more. You know, whatever it takes, I I, I wanted. And uh, you know, he he also had a pretty clear mindset on on getting uh, what he wanted when when he called me. And uh, he he wanted also to be aggressive and get the more aggressive returns and 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 be way more comfortable at the net. So, um, so with that, I think maybe that's, that was maybe like the strength of my own game, which maybe suited me to, to come in, in, in that role and, uh, try to, uh, to, uh, to help out, uh, together with the rest of the teammates. And how tough was it, uh, to be in, uh, Chilich's box when, you know, he played the Wimbledon final, because obviously he, you know, he had blisters and he was in pain. So, uh, how is that as a coach, you work so hard? And your man is there, the opportunity is there, and you know he just uh, is not physically up to the task. Must have been a tough moment. Oh, it is. Uh, I would say it's even harder when you sit outside because watching a match, I, it, it's nerve wracking because you cannot do anything. Uh, if I was on court myself, at least I, I had everything in my own hands. You know, if I if I didn't play good enough, okay, I can only blame myself. Uh, and sitting outside, then all of a sudden you like you can only you know try to support as much as you can and uh you know heading into that final uh you know he woke up the, the day before with a horrendous blister under his foot uh and they had to empty empty it with uh fluid and, and blood before practice after practice uh and the same on the final day so we knew that you know he uh he took an injection just before and, and, and we were hoping that was going to sort of take away the pain. Uh, but after one set, um, you know, he showed us a sign that uh, the pain was starting to come back. And that's obviously heartbreaking because you know how hard these guys are working. And, and you know when you've been there yourself, playing matches that you really want to win. I was never in the final, but but, you know, playing these intense matches and where you have such a high hopes and then it just disappears you know out of the i mean from one moment to another that is uh something that you don't want to be part of so i really mm. felt for marina uh during that that match and i mean to more i mean he knew he just had to fulfill and play two more sets and uh, that's not the way you want it when you finally go into a Wimbledon final which which is something that you have been looking for for so much and for so long. Yeah, so it looks like, uh, you know, there have been some good coaching work done by, you know, some of the guys from Sweden, you know, like yourself and uh, uh, Magnus Norman did a phenomenal uh, job with uh, uh, Stan Wawrinka. Uh, so I, I have a question since, uh, you know, these big names, including yourself, have been coaching now for a while. Uh, would would you be interested or would you be up for the challenge to coach someone like who's trying to find his way back uh, than just coaching a top player? Uh, because a lot of super coaches are associated with like top five or top ten guys. Uh, so would you be uh, interested in coaching, say, Ernest Gulbis or Jerzy Yanovis? You know, these guys have a lot of talent, but they have lost their way. They are like struggling to get form. Is that a challenge that would excite you? Uh, even not, not those names, but someone else who's uh, like a Robin Hassa who's trying 
to make the next step go from top 30 to say like top 20 uh, for for me it's all about the chemistry yeah you know to have uh, if anyone would call me if i if i you know feel that they have a desire to work hard if i have a good uh, if i have a goals and what they they're really looking in but maybe i can come in and help uh, you know to find a way that i can help and support you know that that's for me the biggest key uh, if i don't have a chemistry or uh, if i feel that we um, you know like they don't trust the were uh, your thoughts and and theories of what you think that you can come in and help with then obviously i would say then it's not interesting but uh, if if i feel that i uh, someone would call me and say i wa- i want this and i think here is where i think you can maybe come in and, and help me a little bit then definitely i'll be i'll be interested it doesn't really matter ranking wise obviously it's you know it's been been amazing to uh, to be around the top guys uh because you know they are more or less complete players and they just want to maybe fine tune a few percentage here and there but you know in the other way it would be really interesting to to coach maybe a younger guy who's maybe need uh, a little bit more help of uh, finding his uh, way of uh, uh, how he should play and how he should use his tools his strength and how he should maybe uh, work on uh, improving his weakness uh, that would also be uh, an amazing challenge so you know for me it's all about the the chemistry you know between the the, the player and the coach uh, interesting about the chemistry obviously chemistry has to be there uh, for any partnership to work uh, what's your take on uh, what we see these days on tour every top player has like a team multiple coaches so how is the chemistry with another coach has it been part of your experience so far with Murray or Chelich that there were other coaching members and uh, then how is the decision making work uh, do you split the workload or uh, is there a head coach how does that arrangement work if you have to work with another coach when you're coaching a player sharing duties yeah i i think it has changed uh, i mean these these days you have more of an entourage uh, around the top players they want uh, a team with with them all the time which means uh, let's say 40 weeks so it's obviously tough for everyone to maybe do the 40 weeks depending on the situation back home uh, and i think also maybe past players uh, feel that maybe 40 weeks uh, they've done that uh, for for many years so if if you find someone that you can do uh, half with I, th- I think that's good uh, and uh, obviously we have more knowledge these days about uh, diets uh, so nutrition uh, fitness and everything which means which is good in a way. Uh, I think when I started on the 90s, you know, my, my tennis coach was my fitness coach. And uh, that that was because we didn't know more. Uh, we didn't have uh, the expertise that we have these days. And I think that's a great part. That's why we see the, uh, so many more players, 30-plus, uh, playing. Because I remember myself, I, I, I finished when I was 36. But as soon as I passed 30, I think... More or less every week or every second week, I I was asked when I, when when are you going to retire? Uh, because it was very unusual that someone was thirty plus and, and playing. And now you see these days that you know so many more guys thirty plus is playing, and 
going up to 34, 35, and then obviously Roger and, and, and a few others are even older. Uh, and that's obviously because we got uh, uh, more knowledge how to, to get these guys uh, in, in such a good shape and uh, hold them in good shape for, for longer uh, era. Uh, so uh, I, I think Swedish yeah. guys are, I mean, we all grew up by uh, playing team sports. Um, I'm, I'm a massive ice hockey and soccer fan and I played all these sports when I was young. Most of my colleagues did. Uh, and I think that was a strength in the Swedish Davis Cup team for uh, for the last past 40 years. You know, it was not about, doesn't matter who's playing, uh, we're just going to find the strongest team and ha- find a way of winning. You know, we all felt that we were part of a team. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's maybe the strength of, of Swedish, I would say, Swedish coaches, because we, 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 we love to work in a team. So... Um, I, I think being a big entourage around the top players uh, is a lot of fun for us, and and so I think we are very easy, uh, easy going, uh, and and easy to hang with, and uh, you know we 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 love to work. Uh, we we all been hard workers, and uh, you know I think we have no problem with that. So uh, maybe that is the the key uh, why we have been successful, but. We also been learning a lot. Uh, we had all. I mean, for me, I have no. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I only have my experience of being a past player, and uh, you know. But I learned a lot from all the uh, coaches I had uh, through my career. But you know, also uh, got inspired by you know, like Magnus Norman and a few others who came out on the tour a bit way before me. You know, and. Uh, how they worked and, and, you know, it's been a good inspiration for me to see their, their success and, and, and try to learn from that. No, uh, definitely no one can vouch against that. Uh, the Swedish, uh, I think, temper has been exemplary on the men's tour. Even people who don't follow enough tennis know Swedes are gentlemen and, you know, you seldom see Edberg or Willander or Borg or even yourself or Norman throw a racket. So, yeah, uh, I totally agree. It's a... Uh, it, from far, it seems like it's very hard not to get along with the Swedes, so definitely. Uh, you, you mentioned something uh, in your uh, nice response that players are playing longer. So you think uh, that also has a relation with what's going on on the tour because players are playing longer. Uh, that's why there are more injuries because Becker retired at 29, Sampras was done pretty much at 30, and so was Edberg. So uh, you think that is a reason for injuries or, or the game is more physical than, say, 15, 20 years to go or is it the polyester string what what is the answer in your mind why we have so many injured at the you know at this time oh i, I think it's more physical now uh, i would say if i listen to uh, the the past champions it felt like uh, the top players on the 80s they were they were better as a tennis player and and then mid 90s the physical part started to come even more and and uh, you know mid I would say two thousand five six it started to be even more fitness and purely because of the you know the rackets and strings and everything changed uh, the courts uh, became extremely slow uh, compared to the nineties where I think sometimes the mix was not the best uh, we played with uh, 
fast balls on a fast surface uh, instead of maybe mixing it with a slow ball on a, on a fast surface. Uh, but then, <clears throat> like I said, I mean... But you guys are playing on a doubles, right? Guys like you and Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Now, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, they don't play doubles at all. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think it's a little bit with the mindset. I mean, it's no doubt that these guys are uh, probably uh, even stronger than, than we were. Uh, but for me, it's to go in and play a doubles after singles, it's all mental. It's not physical. I mean, physical to play doubles, it's not hard to play doubles. Uh, uh, a lot of doubles guys might be upset with me, but, uh, you know, I see too many of them only play once a day, one hour, uh, which uh, I would love to see that they work a lot harder on on the tennis court. But, uh, you know, so it's more mental to go out and play a best of three or best of two with a super tie break. Uh, that's the toughest part. Uh, but it's no doubt that the top players could do that because they they are strong enough mentally and they are absolutely strong enough physically. Uh, but I would say that with the way everyone playing now, it is more phys- the singles is more physical. So that's why I think everyone feels that it's maybe tough to, to do both which makes sense because uh, the, the pace of a ball uh, and the court coverage you have to do today compared to 10, 10 15 years ago, it, it, it's a big difference. Uh, Roger was the first one taking the ball uh, a lot earlier. I mean, Ag- mm. Agassi was before him, but Roger took it to the next level. And, and then uh, uh, you felt always, always stressed when you played against him. And then all these guys came up uh, uh, behind him and uh, you know that's why they're, they're still so successful because the top four or five still play a little bit faster uh, and making their opponents move more than they have to move and I think that's a strength uh, why they've been continuing to dominate so so much but so I, I it's not easy to play both singles and doubles these days because how they tear themselves down when they play each other uh, the rallies are extreme. I, I, if Borg and Vilas had a long rally who was a minute and a half, it, compare that pace to, to now, it's obviously a massive difference. Uh, so, uh, And we should never really compare uh, all the eras because all the eras are unique in, in their own way. But uh, it is harder uh, to play both. But it's not so much physically. It still is. But I would say mentally it's a tough spot. Uh, one more question before we switch gears uh, on this. So you think uh, if the courts were to be sped up or make fast, uh, they could be uh, it, it, the the dominance of the top guys could be halted. We can see more upsets, or you think uh, these guys are too good, no matter the courts fast or slow, they would still be the best. Uh, the, I'm talking about the top four or five guys, including Bobrinka. Yeah, I, I think we have seen that they still are the best because. Australia and a few, I would say the last year, there was a lot of tournaments who actually speed up the courts. And uh, we could still see that these guys were still the best. So uh, even if we now have had a change in in, uh, in the speed of the courts, they, they still handle that better, uh, which is uh, impressive. Uh, but like you said, I mean, if you compare yeah. Wimbledon grass 2005 to 1995 I mean it's a night night and day uh, so uh, yeah. it has been you know a big change but it's now I would say the last two years maybe it has we have seen 
that tournament started to speed up the courts a little bit, which I think is good because it also allows guys to come to the net again. Uh, and I think the variety of having someone to uh, come forward and, and get past or, or hit a nice touch volley, you know, the combination with uh, instead of just playing left and right, left and right, I think it makes it more excited. At least that's my thought. Uh, so that brings me to Federer. Uh, you know, you've played against him. You know the guy well. You've coached against him. Is it surprising as a professional? You know, you played tennis at the highest level. You were number four in the world. What he's doing at age 36, he's going to be 37 in a few months. He's the number one player. And probably if there are no injuries and no physical setbacks, he'll be favored to win Wimbledon again. So how has he surprised you from a player's point of view? What is he doing that we sometimes don't see? Why, why, is he, why, why has he extended his longevity? to a level when he's not one of the best players, but he's clearly the best player in the game right now. Yeah, I mean, he's unique. Uh, it, it is just incredible. I, I think we had, I think the whole tennis world had, have had doubts, uh, I would say a couple of times, uh, four or five times where we felt, oh, maybe now, you know, we see that he's, he's done, you know, but he still comes back and he still comes back better. And I think that's uh, what makes it so impressive that, you know, I think the racket change was, you know, a huge difference for him. And, you know, he finally started to compete with uh, Andy and Novak and Rafa from the baseline again. And, you know, with having more of a bigger sweet spot in, in his racket, he, he didn't miss it as much. Uh, but I think... The most impressive part is that when you've been winning so much and you've been around for so long, that you still find your uh, you still you, you still got that motivation. You still have that sweet taste of winning. Uh, for me, that is it's amazing. I mean, when you see him win uh, Australian Open and he's been winning nine, uh, nineteen, is it now? Uh, I mean, it's and, he, and he's still as happy as it was his his first one. And and for me, that says a lot about him. I, 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 every title means something. Uh, and he still had that desire and, and the love of the game, which uh, which is just fantastic to watch. And uh, then I think his, his uh, way of playing obviously helps. I mean, he has a very low energy uh, uh, type of game. He, he doesn't spend enough, uh, enough, but he doesn't spend as much energy like the other guys. I mean, technically, he got everything so easy that uh, he saves a lot of energy. Uh, and also, I think with his movement, everything is so smooth. Uh, and I, I, I'm a big yeah. believer that he probably have this sense of feeling that the ball is going to come there, that he reacts quicker, which means that he always in time. Uh, he never feels that he's not in time to the to the ball uh, so with with his unique play style you know that uh, that makes it makes it possible uh, and obviously uh, with all the training he has done he has obviously done it uh, in in the absolute perfect way to maintain uh, his uh, his his fitness his endurance uh, his his speed and, and flexibility to, to when you come up to that age you don't recover as good, uh, I mean, I, I, I absolutely remember that it was so much harder to go back to back, uh, two days, three days, and and uh, uh, you know he still he still does that, and and that's uh, that is amazing to watch. 
Uh, since you've played him too, uh, let me ask you one thing. I remember once Darren Cahill was doing commentary on a Federer match and he said something very interesting. He said, sometimes you think Federer's shots are very beautiful and looking good, but as an opponent, he's not giving you different looks. And a lot of times, a 45-minute match against Federer can feel like a one-hour, 15-minute match against the other top guys because he's not giving you the same shot twice and it's very hard to react to his game when you're playing him. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would say it's true. Uh, yeah, you're not sure what to expect. Uh, and uh, he keeps mixing up. Uh, and uh, when he's up, he, he plays. Uh, he sort of doesn't give you any rhythm when he's uh, a breakup. You know, and then he goes for it. And, and, and he doesn't allow you to maybe find your rhythm so you can maybe look for that break back. You know, he makes sure that it's, you know, one, two, three, maybe maximum five shots rallies. Uh, and then if he gets to 30 or if he gets to four, uh, juice, yeah, then all of a sudden it may be changed and then play a little bit more uh, consistent and, and holding and waiting. You know, so he, he he does that extremely well. I mean, tactically, he he makes their opponents, you know, being on the toes all the time. Hi, right, sir. So one more question on Federer before we come to close closing this conversation. Uh, again, different opinions. Uh, you are someone who is a top player and you know coach in the business. Is he a better player today? Because there's a lot of discussion on this, and I want to ask everyone what they think. I personally think uh, here's my two cents, yeah. and I'm just a fan. I think uh, his movement. Maybe there's no way to figure out. But I think his movement. If you look at the older highlights, his movement was absolutely you know as good as almost Nadal and Djokovic. He was very automatic. Now he's doing this innovations or reinventing because he knows he cannot stay in the baseline with those guys. But uh, is he a better player in your opinion? And what I'm saying, does it make sense regarding the movement? I mean, it, it, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's tough to say when, when you've been so good for so many years and been more or less complete player. But I have to say, if I, I don't even compare myself but just going back to myself and think i i feel that i was a better player when i retired than having my best ranking 97 and i stopped 2008 because i had to adjust of uh, the improvements in the game of tennis so i felt i was a better player towards the end my mm-hmm. ranking didn't say that but i think that's the same a little bit with with federer he he came up and he was dominating for so many years. But to be able to maintain and still now be on top again, I believe that he's a better player because I think he hits his back and better. Uh, I think Stefan Edberg helped him huge amounts of, of uh, the net play. He, he, had a, he had a good volley before, but he was very casual. Uh, but with Stefan coming in, he, he was so much more focused on every shot he was more you know like a cat coming forward he was aggressive in his net play uh, compared to maybe uh, 10 years so yes I'm a big believer that he is uh, a better player now than he was 10 years ago okay all right so Jonas uh, sometimes uh, with guests I do this rapid fire round where I'll ask you a question and there'll be two or three choices it's just like one word answer just for fun nothing too serious uh so if you're ready, we can sure. start and then, you know, we can continue the podcast. So in your playing career, the best serve you have come across, Sampras, Becker, Ivanisevic, Federer or someone else? 
Oh, that's always hard. Uh, I will, I will say Pete Sampras, uh, but Federer is not far off because he has a toss that you can't read. So he maybe didn't hit uh, the same amount of aces, but he he really put you off on 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 being on the wrong wrong leg a lot of times. But maybe an edge on Sampras. Sure. Uh, best volley you have seen in the game or face? Uh, McEnroe, uh, Rafter, Edberg, uh, Leander Pays, or anyone else? <laughs> uh, uh, for I would say Stefan Edberg. Uh, the way he covered the court, uh, uh, amazing. Uh, I I I could feel okay. of playing John McEnroe singles and doubles. I could sense that he had that same. Uh, same way of covering, uh, but I never played him in singles, so I never, I can never really get the feel of that. But I would say Edberg. Uh, best forehand in the game that you have seen or faced: Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, Jim Courier, Ivan Lendl. Uh, name. <laughs> I would say this. Uh, it's always, always tough because I think you can you can bring out so many good forehands uh, in the game. Uh, and like you said, I mean, uh, Rafa's forehand is is amazing. Yeah, I, w- I will just to make it a little bit a little fun. I, I would say someone who really could blow you away off the court was was uh, Fernando Gonzalez with his forehand. So I will I will give Fernando uh, because he could hit the ball, you know, so much harder than anyone from some positions that it was not even possible to hit. Sure, and same for two-hander backhands. Uh, whose technique you amazed? Are you amazed by the most? Nalbandian, Agassi, Djokovic, or Marat Safin? I absolutely love Nalbandian's backhand because I think no one in the game have uh, the two-hander uh, short cross like uh, David had. Okay. Uh, that one was uh, exceptional. Good. Yeah, I still yeah. have to, you know. Make it a tie with with uh, with with a Djokovic and Murray. Fair enough. And last, uh, who uh, of the younger lot impresses you the most and will have a better career? I know this is just totally prediction time. Nothing may come out true, but uh, whose game are you most impressed with? Zverev, Shapovalov, or Nick Kyrgios? Absolutely, three completely different uh, styles of playing. I, I would say. Zverev is maybe more of a consistent out of the three. Uh, I think both Dennis and, and Nick has been more of a Dials. Uh, flashy game. So I, I, would, I would say maybe Nick in a way. I probably, a lot of guys will say Zverev because of his consistency and everything. But, you know, Nick, Nick has so many weapons. Uh, so I would go for Nick. All right, so that was wonderful, Jonas. Thanks for so generous in your time. We are almost closing in an hour. I really enjoyed the chat, and uh, likewise. And uh, I'll release this in a couple of weeks. And uh, thanks for doing it. Good. No problem. I hope uh, it turns out good. No, it, it was phenomenal. Thank you.